Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 85th edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys today. We're going to get you ready for the upcoming game against Duke as the greatest rivalry in sports renews itself on Saturday evening in the Smith Center. We're going to preview the we're going to preview the Blue Devils, update you on some stats for Carolina, break down the matchup, have a discussion topic or two. But we start every preview edition of the pod as we always do with our pod thought of the day. We go to the Carolina fight song to get today's pod thought of the day cuz it concludes as we all know that have been a part of, of the Carolina fabric for some time. Simply and always, go to hell, Duke. And that's going to be the goal on Saturday night as as Duke comes to Chapel Hill for the final time under Coach K. First place on the line in the ACC, so it's going to feel like a normal Duke-Carolina game. Even though Carolina isn't ranked in the AP Top 25, Duke is the only lone ACC school that is represented coming in at number 9, but it's going to be as emotional a setting I think we've ever seen in the rivalry. Um, we didn't know when it was Roy Williams' last game against Duke. We didn't know it was his final game against Duke. Same thing for Coach Smith when it was his final game against Duke. I think you maybe knew under Coach Guthridge, but at the time you didn't know. And then as for Matt Doherty, you knew it was his final game, but for all the wrong reasons because all signs pointed towards him being fired. This rivalry is is special without all of the extra stuff going into it with the retirement of of college basketball's greatest coach, which which that is Coach K. But Saturday is going to be – it's going to be something unique, especially coming off last year with COVID where there were fans in the building for the Duke game, but it was a limited crowd last year. The Smith Center crowd will be an all-timer on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and it's – you know, it's been – Pretty good at, at times this year. But, yeah, this one should be as raucous as it gets. And if, if you needed extra fuel to this rivalry, you've got, you know, one of the greatest uh, coaches in, in all of sports that's getting ready to retire. So, you know, there is hatred between both of these sides. There is respect as well. But I think you're going to see more of the hatred on Saturday during the game. And it's going to be a crazy environment because, look, not only is this his last game in Chapel Hill, this is a game that, you know, Carolina kind of needs. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they've they've got some opportunities still down the line that if they win, that probably would put them into the tournament. But you don't want probably. You win this game, unless you have a collapse at the end of the season, you're going to make the NCAA tournament. This is your one chance to get a quad one win on your schedule. So, there's a lot of different things that go into this game for Carolina, not to mention that, you know, this is also going to be Hubert Davis's yep. first game, uh, you know, on the Tar Heel sidelines as the head man coaching in this rivalry. So, uh, yeah, as much as there normally is going into this, it's going to be a crazy one coming off of, as you mentioned, 
a COVID year where there were no fans in either one of these games last year. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. I I would argue that I know the Smith Center isn't the best game in, game out environment in college basketball. You got to put Cameron Indoor right up there. I always usually lean Allen Fieldhouse, but the Duke game, all of itself, it's in, it's in a different category. But this year, it's just going to be completely different because it's the final time our our villain comes to 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 town. First place is on the line. It's Hubert Davis's first game in the rivalry, and we saw how animated he was against NC State just a week ago. You have to imagine you're going to get the same type of Hubert Davis in this game. The only thing that I that I'm going to hate about Saturday is watching these two guys coach in in, in a sweatsuit. Um, one of my favorite things about the rivalry when Roy Williams was there was you knew it was a big game by his suit choice and by his tie choice. You don't get that same type of feeling now with them wearing you know a pullover or a raincoat, whichever one you co- you want to call it. But really anxious for Saturday. College game day will be in town. They'll be uh, live from Chapel Hill at 11 a.m. for that one hour special leading up to the the six o'clock tip and. We got to have a discussion with this being Coach K's final game in, in in Chapel Hill, and look, we've all had our jokes at the farewell tour because that's what it is. But he's also earned the right to travel around the country and and be honored for his contributions to college basketball and to the ACC. Carolina decided to not honor him. Um, they're not they're not having anything made for him, as far as we know. Steve Kirshner announced at at a press conference. Last week, he hasn't gotten gifts at every stop along the way during his retirement tour, but there have been certain places where he's gone where they've they've thanked him for his contributions to the sport. This is a rivalry that has a lot of hatred in it, but it's more of a respectful rivalry because of everything that goes into it. You, if you go back to when Coach Smith passed away in 2014-15, we played at Duke, Duke honored Coach Smith's life. They had the pregame huddle with the prayer, which is one of the most emotional things I've ever seen watching this rivalry. Uh, When Coach K won his 1,000th game, when he came to Chapel Hill later that year, Carolina gave him a a, a plaque then. Should Carolina have honored him with this being his final trip to Chapel Hill? No. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I mean, it's it's one thing. I mean, look, if you're going to compare – his retirement to Dean's passing, which I'm assuming there are probably people that are going to try to draw that comparison, then you need to reevaluate your life because they're not they're not even remotely close to the same thing. I don't think that they would have honored Roy if Roy was I don't think so going either. through. But you know what? I wouldn't be offended by that. Your rivals, like. I don't know. I don't think that that's something that you you do. I mean, I hate to say it because it's you know, honestly, you're saying to yourself, well, post mortem, you're gonna you're gonna honor somebody when you could honor them while they're here. But I don't know. I, I feel like it would just be perceived bad, you know, in 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 bad terms by Tar Heel fans. Um, I mean, I know. There were Duke fans that weren't happy when they honored Coach Smith after his passing that mm-hmm. they did that. So um, I'm not going that far, but yeah, I I don't really have that much of an issue with it. I mean, you know, here's the way you honor them: you beat them. I mean, that's that's how I look at it. And you know, look, it doesn't mean that we don't have respect for Coach K. I mean, any anybody that's not just a, a you know a, a big time homer that can't admit it is. You know, going to admit that this guy is one of, if not the best coaches in basketball. Um, mm. You know, I would probably say, yeah, he probably is the best because of what he's done at the college ranks and what he's done coaching Team USA. So, yeah, I mean, you you understand his greatness, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, I don't want to honor him in in this game. He's got to come into Chapel Hill and and come away with a victory. If he does. Congratulations! There's your gift. If you lose, congratulations! There's the gift we gave you. So, either way, you know I don't really have an issue with it. But I know there are people that are mad over this and think that Carolina should be going out of their way to roll out the red carpet for somebody that, you know, again they respect, but they don't really like. Yeah. 
You know, I, I, I thought it was the right decision. I think maybe when we all get together for the ACC tournament, if Carolina wants to be a member of, of thanking him then, I'm all for because you're celebrating the league and the conference, and, and you can't tell the history of the conference without telling Duke basketball under Coach K. But this game, nah. No, it's, 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 it's not the right time or the place. He knows how we feel about him. We know how he feels about us. And we're going to leave it at that. Let's get to our our all-time favorite win over Duke under Coach K. Remember back in the summer, we at, did— At home, right? Yeah, in yeah, the Smith yeah, yeah. Center. We did the best wins against Duke under Roy Williams. So, of course, this game will, will fall into that category um, once again as well. There's a lot of different options you could go. You got 2005 when Marvin Williams hit the bank shot. You got 2000— So I didn't put that one on there just because— we we didn't see that. I saw it. So well, you don't remember that. I don't remember, but I did. I did see it. <sighs> yeah, that's the you, thing. Like you got, I, you got 2009, the senior day win against Duke to to clinch the ACC regular season. Hansboro pa- set or passes JJ Redick for most points all time in ACC history. That was in the NCAA tournament. Oh, was that in the tournament? Yes. Uh, 2012. You lost at home. That's right. It was 2011 when you beat yep. them on senior night to win the ACC. 2014 when you beat them after the rain delay or after after the snow delay. Then you had the stretch in 2017 when you beat them on on senior night to win the conference again. We were in Chapel Hill for that. 2019 comes to mind because Kobe White was just sensational and took that game over in the second half. Last year's game. It's a great win because you blew them out, but it's going to get forgotten about because Carolina wasn't very good, Duke wasn't very good, um, very strange, and there was no one in, in the, the building Center. hardly. So there, there, there's a lot of different ones to choose from. I'll go 2009 because I thought that springboarded them making that run to the national championship, and it was Tyler Hansborough's final game in the Smith Center. And first place was on the line between both of those schools. And you entered the game not knowing if Ty Lawson was going to be able to play because he had sprained his toe against a stanchion prior to the game. And he was able to suit up and play well and, and lead Carolina to a victory. And that was when the rivalry was maybe still at its peak because the game was in a standalone time slot on Sundays. Yep. CBS was still broadcasting that game. And it was kind of like the first game. You knew when that game happened, you know that you're right around the corner from the conference tournaments and from the NCAA tournament. Um, and so that's the one that I know that I remember watching. That's the one I would put number one for me. It's it's up there for sure. Um, I would probably say that one or, or 17 because – the thing that was so special about 17 was, yeah, I mean, we were in Chapel Hill for that one, but that game was, one, just just wild. Some of the shots that those two teams hit, both, both sides. Remember, that was the game where Joel Berry went perfect from the field, but Luke Kennard hit, like, three shots where he, like, banked it in from three. I mean, it was just back and forth, nonstop. Um, the intensity was high. You may have you may have scared a young girl out of working in the food industry for the rest of her life when she asked you if you wanted some more water. Look, it's not my fault she was doing her job, and it was just at the most inopportune time. It's not my fault. Yeah, they missed a free throw right as she was coming over to refill that water cup, and that woman, the fact, I'm going to be honest with you, one of the most impressive things about that night was that that woman did not drop that <laughs> pitcher of water that thing could have gone flying because i mean it was literally the perfect time for you to yell as she was getting ready to ask you and uh but yeah that that game was just that game was just unbelievable and i think that you know kind of spring their run as well um i would probably go with that game honestly because i think just the back and forth nature of that game the ebbs and flows, the nerves. Um, you know, I, I I remember it somewhat with the o, with the O nine matchup, but I think the thing with the O nine matchup was you were always just so confident because it was like, well, you know, you got Hansborough, Lawson, 
Ellington, Green, all these guys, we know we're going to find a way to beat this team. Plus, Carolina came into that game uh, expected to win that game. I, I feel like sixteen, the, the 17 matchup was a little more of a toss-up. People were kind of up in the air about who, should, who, who was going to actually win that game. Plus, if you're looking at it from the Duke side, I mean, you had a couple of those, a couple of guys on the other side that were hateable for Duke in in the 09 matchup. Kyle Singler, Shire, Shire was on that team. Nolan Smith, but I didn't really hate those guys as much as I hated Grayson Allen. I loved beating him in that in in that final game of the regular season, watching that dumbass walk off the court just crushed. All right, and. Uh, <laughs> My passion may have gotten me there just a slight bit. This that is one's going to count as two laps. Now we're up to 23. This, this is this is the Duke edition of the podcast, so emotions are free-flowing. But, yeah, no, to see him walk off the court disappointed after just an unreal performance by Joel Berry, I think that I would put that number one. Let's get into some numbers regarding the matchup. Carolina, with their sweep last year, improved their lead all-time in the series to 141. 2-1-14. Their largest margin of victory is 37 points. That came back all the way in 1921. Their longest win streak in the rivalry was 16 games. That happened from a stretch of 1921 to 1928, back when Duke was still known as Trinity College. They were not yet Duke University. As I mentioned, they've won the most two most recent matchups. They swept Duke last year after getting swept the year before that. But the last 10 games in Chapel Hill, as you could expect, is split right down the middle, five apiece for both teams. And then Co- Coach K, barring Carolina facing Duke three times this year and winning all three games, will finish his career against Carolina with the winning record because entering Saturday's game, he's 49-46 and 46 all-time against Carolina. Um, a lot of that work being made up back during the Matt Doherty era, and then that stretch in the mid-2010s where Carolina just wasn't quite as good as Duke to get his winning to get his record in the winning margin. Let's take a closer look at the Blue Devils. They come in with an 18-3 record overall. They are 8-2, which is first place in the ACC. They are led, as everybody knows, by a stud freshman, Paolo Bancaro. He leads the team in scoring and rebounding. He is one of four players to average double-figure scoring for the Blue Devils. But this is this is a good offensive team. This is a great defensive team. They are the best three-point defensive team in the conference, and they have the second-best scoring defense in the ACC. And the thing that was that that we got introduced when we were young in the rivalry was Duke was a defensive first basketball team, and that was how they made their their mark early. Under Coach K, was playing great individual, tough one on one defense, and they've gotten away from that since they went into the one and done era because it's really hard to convince eighteen year old kids that are ready to go to the NBA that you got to play defense first. But that hasn't been an issue with this team. Um, and, and they've got a lot of different variables as to why they're so good defensively. Their point guard, Trevor Keels, he's back from injury. As physical a specimen as you're going to see in college basketball, Wendell Moore's taking that leap. You got A.J. Griffin, who's become the X factor for them. You got Paulo Bancaro's length and athleticism. He can do a lot of things for you. And then you got Mark Williams down low, who's just a, a just a glass eater and, and, and really controls the paint for them. It's been a while since we've said this will be the best defensive team Carolina sees in ACC play, but Duke definitely fits the mold this year. Right up there with the Virginias, you're going to see Florida State in a couple weeks, but Duke's going to provide a, a defensive challenge that we haven't seen from them in quite some time. Yeah, the Virginia Tech's in there as well. Those are two teams. I mean, Virginia Tech was allowing less than 60 a game, but Carolina did a really good job of – doing what they wanted to do for the most part offensively. Biggest problem in that game was you just couldn't finish when you were in position to finish. So I this one's different though because those Virginia and Virginia Tech are more guard oriented with their defense. That's where they thrive best. This game's going to be a huge challenge because look, not only can this team 
guard, you know, on the perimeter pretty pretty good. They're not, I mean, inside, if you get inside, Mark Williams, if he if you can't get him in foul trouble, which needs to be one of the things that you need to focus on early on if you're Armando Baycott, then it could be it could be a tough night inside for you, especially mm-hmm. with the way they've been playing recently. And that's one of my biggest concerns with this game is that Carolina, they've been better the last two games since that Virginia Tech-Boston College stretch where they were just horrendous finishing at the rim. But they're still not great. They're still trying to adjust, and they're bothered whenever they get doubled, which you're going to see that a lot in this game, uh, primarily with Williams. So we'll see how Carolina adjusts to that because, you know, one of the things that I've heard so often about, you know, when when they talk locally here about Duke is that they're a team that is so good defensively because they can alter shots inside with yep. both Williams and Bancaro. So how does Carolina adjust to that? I think that'll be the interesting part. But, yeah, I mean, it, the, the the good news for Carolina is that, look, you're facing one of the best defensive teams in the country. Um, somehow they're only ranked 67th in the country, allowing 64.7 points per game. But that's still one of the better ones in the country. Against Carolina, one of the better offensive teams in the country, averaging 78.5 game, points per game, that's 32nd. So it's, it's kind of a matchup of different styles. The problem with Duke is Duke also – 14th in the country in scoring. So they're a very weird team in that they're good defensively, but the teams that you saw earlier in the year that were good defensively as well, and even Florida State to a certain extent, they're good defensively because they limit possessions. It's not the way Duke plays. They're just re- they, they have the defensive talent and ability to slow teams down. Let's take a look at Carolina. They'll come in with the, I guess you could call it respectable. They're sixteen and six overall. In I mean, they're eight and three. This is a battle for first place in the ACC. So they made it respectable, even though it looked a little bumpy out of the gate. Yeah, and that eight and three mark is coming off of them winning four straight games. They they won three games at home just last week, and then of course Tuesday nights Tuesday nights win up at Louisville. They've got four players averaging double-figure scoring. They're still led by Armando Baycott, who is averaging over 16 points per game and over 12 rebounds per game. And speaking of rebounding, Carolina is the fifth-best defensive rebounding team in the country. They grab 30.1 defensive rebounds per game. All the talk about this team leading up to this game is following four straight wins – is have they turned the corner? Because mm-hmm. you had the the back to back blowout losses on the road at Miami, at Wake Forest. We challenged the team with three games at home to use that as a springboard for the rest of the season. They won all three of those games against Virginia Tech, Boston College, and NC State in different fashions. Then they went on the road to a hostile environment at Louisville. Louisville, without their best player, pushed Carolina to the brink. Carolina made a play or two in overtime. And they get the win, but it's hard to say they've turned the corner because they still have yet to beat anybody with a pulse. That can change on Saturday. You beat Duke. You first off, you you're sitting atop the conference standings. All of a sudden, you're nine and three in the ACC, and and, and you're leading the conference. You solidify your standing as of right now in the NCAA tournament, and you're just you're you're getting more confidence in your team in Hubert Davis, but. I don't think we're going to know if this team's turned the corner until roughly 8 p.m. on Saturday night because I think even if you lose the game, but you lose the game in a competitive fashion, like like the Purdue loss, I think you're more willing to say that this team is still trending in the right direction. But then if it comes out and it's Kentucky, Tennessee, one of those types of games, you're back at square one. I mean, I don't even know – I wouldn't even say square one. I'd say square zero. I, I, I would be <laughs> back at the foundation. Mo- I would be mortified if this team came out and got blasted by Duke and showed no effort. Because at that rate, I'm going to be honest. At home, against your biggest rival in a game that always has energy, and the the opponent on the other side will have nervous energy, as will you. But still. 
that would be that. I mean, I, honestly, I would probably say this team is done if that happened because there's just no coming back from that. Mm-hmm. This is a game that you should have energy for. No matter what, the energy, effort, and toughness in this game, that shouldn't even be a saying before the game. That should be ingrained in your head. For, I mean, first of all, it should be ingrained in your head anyways because Hubert Davis, I think, says that in his sleep. <laughs> but it's I don't think that is going to be the problem in this game. And in terms of turning the corner, I think you're right. It's tough to kind of go there just yet. Because, I mean, look, you've only beaten one team with a, with a an above 500 record. And that was Virginia Tech, who was 10-9 and nine after you beat them. Yeah. So, it's not great, but at the same time, you look at the rest of the ACC outside of this game that you play, there's a lot of teams like that. So, it's, it's, it's confusing what to feel. If they win this game, you probably feel pretty confident that, hey, maybe they've turned a corner. But I thought you brought up a great point yesterday when we were recapping the Louisville game. The the problem the, the concern is that okay, maybe you'll feel like hey they've turned a corner, but it's at home again yeah. in this game. That's four out of five games at home. So even if you get the wins, people are going to say that. But mainly in your mind as a fan, you're probably going to think okay they do have somewhat of a point here that Carolina has been a much different team at home than they've been on the road. But I read the schedule off to you the rest of the year on the road. Carolina's got four road games the rest of the season. And you look at the first three that come before that final game at Duke, very winnable. So you could probably feel safe in saying if they win this game, they've turned the corner. But – it's a much easier task said than done. I think they've got a heck of a chance to do it, but there's still you you have to do a lot of things right. This Duke team is not invincible like some people would want to lead you to believe, but at the same time, they're still really really good. Yeah, I feel like for us to come on here and say they've turned the corner, they don't got to blow Duke out, but they got to they 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 have to beat Duke. And look good doing it in a, in a lot of different ways. Well, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I think if they're going to win the game, they got to they got to look good doing it. This is not a game that you're going to win ugly. I it's I just don't see that happening. Like there's no way that you're going to shoot 35 percent in this game and win. That's just not going to happen. I would I I would agree with that. Um, and it just it just adds to the intrigue because. There's a lot of nervousness around Carolina right now, just because the record looks good. You're second in the conference, but we're we're into February and we don't know who our team is. Yeah, your last loss, I mean, honestly, you didn't look much different than you've looked on the road the rest of the season. I mean, again, we 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 talked about it. The difference in, that we saw against Louisville was the fact that hey, they took multiple punches and were able to shake it off and and find a way to win. But in terms of the overall look of the team in that game and the feel. Watching it on TV, it was it felt like every other road game that they've played in conference after Georgia Tech. So, yeah, it's hard to feel overly confident in what you saw, and that's okay. You should be feeling that way right now. But yeah, I I, I think if you win this game, I I I don't like I said I don't think it's going to be ugly. But to me, even if you win it ugly. The fact that you made this game that ugly against Duke, a team that, as I just said, very good defensively, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Maybe even better offensively. Even if you win the game ugly, the fact that you turned it ugly and still found a way to win, I would feel pretty good about where this team is at. And I I would probably still say they've turned the corner. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to play you this week's ad from DraftKings. But when we come back, we're going to give you our keys to a win over Duke in the Smith Center. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 
56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 or older, minimum age and location and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Voidware prohibitive. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text to Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Really hope you guys are taking a great advantage of all the great offers you've been getting on the Four Corners podcast. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog podcast. The very first key to the game is is what Carolina has thrived off in all of their big home wins. Mm-hmm. And that's a fast start which is highlighted by Caleb Love. And, and and it's really it's really not fair to say that the game comes down to one player, but the game comes down to one player for Carolina. If Caleb Love plays the way he plays at home, you feel very confident that Carolina's going to have a chance to win the ball game when you enter that final four-minute timeout in the second half. If Caleb Love doesn't show up, then you're probably looking at a loss. The good news is, is that if you go back to last year, he recorded 25 and seven at Duke and Cameron Indoor Stadium, and then he had 18 seven and three in that season finale. So he gets up for this game. The big reason why he grew up a Duke fan was thought going into his recruitment he was going to be recruited by Duke. That didn't happen. wasn't even one of his final schools when he committed to Carolina. So it's personal to him. He plays with an extra chip on his shoulder. Carolina's going to need that. There's going to be just so much going on when that game starts, as there always is. Carolina, like like with NC State, because you had Roy Williams in the building, you had the 1982 national team in the building, all of that emotion, all of the, the buildup from ESPN and, and everything that's going to go into that, they got to feed off of that. And they've got to come out and be ready to play from the moment that game starts. I don't know if they can overcome some sort of double-digit deficit against Duke. No, no, This has to no. be a game that Carolina has to control from the moment the game starts, make sure the game is played the way they want the game to be played, dictate the game as much as possible. And it comes back, it, it, it comes back to number two because I think R.J. Davis is going to make some plays. I think Brady Manick has shown you in the last recent stretch he's going to make some plays. Armando Baycott is going to probably get his, but everything that he's going to have to earn because Mark Williams is as good a front court player as he's seen in the ACC so far this season. This is an NCAA tournament type of game. What determines the NCAA tournament? It's guard play. Well, if it, if, if if he can outduel the Jeremy Roaches, the Wendell Moores, Trevor Keels, if he can hold his own against those guys. Carolina's got a really good shot to win this game on Saturday. All, all you got to do to know about the importance of him to this team's success is go back and look at the box score and watch the way even the team played against Louisville. Look at the other four starters even going into overtime. All, all four of them were playing well on the offensive end of the floor, but Caleb Love wasn't, and that almost cost you the game. Mm-hmm. He is the key to this team having success. He has shown that time and time again this season. And, yeah, he is as hit and miss as it gets. He is second on the team in scoring with 15.3 points per game. 
He is the only guy on the team that really plays significant minutes that is shooting less than 40% while doing so. But he's second on the team in scoring. So it shows you that he's he's an up-and-down player. He's an, as inconsistent as it gets. But the good news is, is yeah, at home, he's kind of been, and we've said it, he, he embodies what this team as a whole is this season. It's a completely different team and guy at home than it is on the road. And, you know, you're hoping that in this game, we can see the guy that we've seen most of the year at home. Like you said, I think this is a game that he probably takes personally. This is a game that he gets up for. And it seems like those games that have been more important, he has played well in. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I think you'll you'll get a feel for it early on. Just like I said in the last game against Louisville, you're going to have him and R.J. Davis that are probably going to have a couple of shots early on in the game, especially against this Duke group, which, you know, I, as I said, on the perimeter is really, really good. They are not going to allow dribble drive penetration easy. There is going to be a couple of shots early that you're going to have to take from the outside that are not going to be easy shots. And if those shots go down, you should feel pretty confident about what this team can do. If those shots are off and, you know, Carolina can't get to the rebound or whatever, it's one and done, you're, you're going to get a feel for it pretty quick how this night's going to go. The second key, and I think this might cause a disagreement between you and I. Oh, beautiful. Carolina's got to defend Bancaro without fouling because they don't have a guy that can defend him. You're not going to no, put... Nobody, nobody does. There's there's no one in the country right now that I look at and say, man, that guy, you, that's the perfect matchup for Paolo Bancaro. The, the, the guy legitimately is probably the first player... That we've seen in that that we've seen here in the United States that we've talked about can play the one to five because Luca can play that, but the one to that that can play the one to five since LeBron. There, there's no other guy that we've talked about like that where you look at him and you say, if we needed this dude to bring the ball up the court, we could. If we need him to play the five, though, he can do that and he can rim protect. I mean, this dude's rare. There's there's no there's no doubt about that. But at the same time. I, I look at his numbers. I mean, he's good, but he hasn't been. I thought this dude would be utterly dominant, would be hands down, wooden award winner, best player on the court, no doubt. Well, that's what ESPN wanted you to believe. So, I mean, I think the, the reason why he's not is you, if, if, if you don't know, and, and I know a little bit more about them because we work with a guy who's a big-time Duke fan, and we talk to him all the time about their games, and we've seen a little bit of them. They're, they're on TV enough that you ha- you eventually catch them on television. When they played Florida State, he went 15 minutes in the second half without a shot. Mm-hmm. So the reason why his numbers aren't higher, he doesn't demand the ball enough. I don't think that's going to change in this game. So if you're Carolina – Hey, you know, if he doesn't want to demand the ball, then that's fine. Because, yeah, defending him is going to be tough. I don't disagree with you that you have to be careful not to get into foul trouble. Because you're right. There's no depth. We know that. If you lose one, God forbid if you lose both. If if, if both of your big guys are in foul trouble, I mean, I'm not going to say pack it in, but you are legitimately looking at a lineup where you would have Justin McCoy or Leaky Black as your five man, and 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 that's my concern because <laughs> Duke's going to put him at the four, they're going to put him at the five, so you can't you can't put Leaky on him like you. I mean, you so, could, but okay, so, the problem is going to be putting Baycott or Manic on. Well, well, Baycott Baycott will probably be on. Williams or Theo John because I usually one of those two is in the game because they're both that's another I mean we didn't we didn't talk about Theo John another rim protector they've got off the bench that's probably what you would focus on him the concern would be what do you do with Manic um and I mean it's tough I mean you're not gonna put him all I mean is he athletic enough to guard Wendell Moore probably not 
I don't know. I mean, Manic, Manic's that guy that in this game is is a concern because he is a liability defensively out there against these more athletic fours. And if God forbid you had to match him up on a three to try to get leaky on him, yeah, I mean it's it's tough. But like I said, I I don't think I, what I what I said off air. I did not say it on air. I got confused though. I said it on air. If you let Bancaro, if that's the guy that goes out and has a big night against you, okay, you can you you can deal with that. You can you can deal with one guy having a big night against you. What was the problem in the games against? Miami and Wake Forest. You had three guys in each one of those games that killed you. So you've got to avoid that scenario happening in this game. There's a reason that team, th- this team scores 80 points a game. Pa- believe it or not, Palo Bancaro ain't dropping 40 a game. So you've got to take care of business against Wendell Moore, who's having a really good season. It's flying under the radar, but... Yeah, he's he's better than his high school teammate, Leaky Black. And he's taken a significant step forward. Trevor Keels, as you mentioned. You know, everybody remembers the first game of the year for him. He's not that guy, but he can still score the basketball. He's physical. He likes to drive the lane. That's something that Carolina struggled with, are those physical guards that are aggressive and want to drive the lane because they struggle with dribble penetration. And then, yeah, you, 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 A.J. Griffin has started to put it together. There's so many guys here that if you're not careful and you let two, three, maybe even four of them team up together and have good nights, that could kill you. If Bancaro's the only guy that's going off, you can live with that. Well, that's how I look at it. The thing is, though, is that if he gets you into foul trouble, it's going to make the game easier for him, Wendell Moore, Keels, and A.J. Griffin. Right. That's- I think they kind of go hand in hand. I think it was more of the fact that prevent I, – I, you know, we're looking ahead here in the keys, but one of the keys was not slowing down the other guys around Bancaro. The focus was more on Bancaro, where I think if Bancaro has a big night, then, okay, you can live with that. If – three or four different guys along with, or you know, with Bancaro included have a big night, it's going to be tough to see Carolina winning this game. But you you are right, and that's definitely something that they've got to be aware of and is probably a key. Can we take can we take a key from one of the other games that where we, we took 15 minutes to decide key three and just add a fourth key into this one? Because I think both of those that we just talked about right there are huge and huge determining factors in this game. Oh, yeah. There's 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 no doubt. Um, to me, I, I think this game will come down to the guard play, and then whichever team I think rebounds the ball best wins the game. Yeah, yeah. And look, I've heard it from a lot of people that watch Duke and are Duke fans and cover the team. One of the areas that they kind of struggle with is they're not they're not overly physical. When they've gotten into some physical games, like the Miami game, like Florida State, they folded a little bit. Carolina, again, we've talked about it at times. This isn't the toughest team. But you combine the emotion with the physical talent that these guys have. I mean, Armando Baycott may have 57 rebounds in this game. I mean, he's just, I mean. All right. You you look at the way that he's played against lesser competition. Now you're 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 going into this game telling them, look, you've got to step it up because they got guys that can clean the glass. We need you to play your best game of the year. I, I mean, this could be a monster performance from him, and you're going to get contributions from other guys. I think Carolina's got a really good chance to win this battle on the glass. But, yeah, it's not going to be easy. I mean, this Duke team, I mean, Carolina averages 41 rebounds a game. This Duke team averages 39 rebounds yep. per game. Yeah, so, it's, it's, it's not like the Duke teams back in the mid-2010s where they played small. Carolina beat them up on the glass, and that's usually how they were able to beat Duke. Duke's got size. You got Williams. You got Van Carey. You brought in Theo John, a guy we saw at Marquette. Wendell Moore, like they've got guys that can get on the glass, and Carolina's gotten better getting everybody to the glass. Like it's not like it's it's still mainly Baycott. I mean, he had the other night against Louisville, he had half of your rebounds 
by himself, but it's not just him. It's Manic has rebounded the ball a lot better since he's became a starter with, with Dawson Garcia away from the team. Leaky Black's getting to the board. So are your guards. The guys off the bench, Puff Johnson, whenever he's yep. in the game, they're getting to the boards, and they're going to need to. And I, I feel like I feel like in a game like this, if they can get 10 offensive rebounds and get second-chance points, that's going to be that's going to be key because Duke's half court defense is good. It's they're they're, they're right up there. They're going to make it hard on you to score the ball. Mm-hmm. So you got to do it in some in, in some creative ways. If Carolina can out rebound them, which would allow them to control the tempo, control the pace at which the game is played, I think that favors Carolina. But this this is going to be as tough a matchup as they've had since Purdue, since Kentucky with Shwebay or with with Oscar Shwebay. So this they're going to have their hands full. But and look, you handled yourself well in that game. The problem was that you did, forgot how to stop the stop the ball with the guards. But yeah, that was that was the test that you faced earlier in the year, and everybody else killed you. You're you're you know the battle at the five. I mean Mondo and and Shibway were neck and neck. This game. That's where you got to see other guys step up, like you've been saying. We've seen it in other games. This can't be a game where all of a sudden you guys disappear because, as you mentioned, they've got a bunch of other guys. And one thing that we didn't talk about in there, we didn't put it as a key, probably because it's a little too specific and I I wouldn't put it as high up as some of these other ones. Look, if you can get Mark Williams into foul trouble, you you, you need to go ahead and try to do that because when he's been out of the game – that's the guy that really controls everything defensively for Duke. That's when they've started to struggle a little bit defensively is when he's been taken out of game. So if you can do that, that would be huge, especially because that that would allow Baycott to be more comfortable inside and finish easier down there. Duke will come in, according to ESPN's Basketball Power Index, with a 60.1% chance to win the game. We know what goes into Duke, Carolina. It's going to be to a whole nother degree on Saturday with it being Coach K's final time and Hubert Davis's first time. In a lot of ways, Carolina's validity or validity as an ACC team, it's it's on the line as well. And Carolina usually rises to the occasion. They get up for these games. They get up for the moment. Because they're typically an older team with guys who have been around more often than not. So the game means more to those guys more than it means to Duke's one-and-dones. But this Duke team's got a special goal. They've got a special mission to send their their Hall of Fame head coach out with the national championship. But Carolina's just different at home. They're as good a home team as there is in college basketball. They've yet to lose, and they have been dominant at home this season. They've blown out Michigan. They've blown out Virginia. They've they've taken care of really good they've taken care of good teams in 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 a, in a fashion. I don't think they blow Duke out because last year was an anomaly. That's not how these things go. Mm-hmm. Now, if it wants to go that way, all means. I'm here for it. Yeah, no one's complaining. I don't think it's going to go that way, but I do think Carolina is sensing the moment. They see that all of their goals are still out in front of them. A win over Duke only makes it that much clearer. I do think they get a win on Saturday night to send Coach K home with one last loss in Chapel Hill. Yeah, this won't be a blowout either way. Uh, Carolina, too good at home for Duke to blow them out. Duke, way too talented for Carolina to blow them out. I, I Because it's at home, I... I, I I like that. Now, look, there's there's going to be the factor that, you know, for Duke, once again, a lot of freshmen that play significant minutes, a couple of sophomores that are holdovers play significant minutes for them as well. That'll be their first trip to the Smith Center with fans in it and the first time this rivalry will have fans for them. Carolina's also got guys that this will be the first time experiencing this rivalry with the pressure with fans in the stands. Now, the good news is is it's going to be your home crowd behind you. But, yeah, it's it's still going to be one of those games that early on you feel like it's probably going to be a little ugly. And we've seen that before. But it feels like as as once they get to about the under eight, 
uh, I would say the under 12. That's when you start to see the team settle in. I think it's going to be another really good matchup. Hoping it's not going to be a legendary matchup either way because I don't know if I can take that for two hours. But I think you're going to see a lot of back and forth. It's going to be a very physical game. I like the fact that Duke has has struggled with teams that are physical. I think Carolina is going to want to be physical in this game. I like the fact that, you know, Caleb Love has been as successful as he's been at home. He's a different player. I think he'll play well in this one combined with R.J. Davis. I think this is, you know, reminiscent of the other night with Louisville offensively, except Caleb Love's good. So I think Carolina has a chance in this game. Um, And, yeah, I I think I'm with you. I I know, you know, first of all, no one's going to pick Duke on this podcast. But this is one of those ones where you feel really, really good about this pick, too. Um, I, I feel confident with this. I've been thinking this for a while now. Really, I think it was this pick was validated when they beat NC State the way they did. Um, and I think Carolina knows, look, this is that important. I think they come out motivated and they get the win over the Blue Devils. We'll have you covered on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. There will be an article up previewing Saturday night's matchup on the website and then immediately following the game, we'll have immediate post-game reaction both on the blog and the podcast format as well as for the football side of things, National Signing Day came and went. Carolina did land a transfer offensive lineman from Harvard yesterday. Anthony tells you about that. And weekly storylines will return later in the week as we're keeping you up to date on all the news and happenings around Carolina football. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. We're on the Basketball Podcast Network. We host through Megaphone. You can find us on every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast. We will pop up, like the pod, review the pod, but most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the podcast during this basketball season. Well, that is going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels and go to hell, Duke. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com, to find the best basketball podcast.